Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth and final episode of the Leadership Lab. In this episode, we will continue our journey into looking into leadership aspects and with particular focus on collaborative leadership in teams, system leaderships, and we're going to bring to life some of the examples of the leadership labs that are taking place in the field. In fact, in 2021, Geli, in partnership with the United Nations Development Coordination Office, has launched the leadership labs through Geli to provide more effective leadership support to teams, and most importantly, to support teams to resolve some specific challenges that they're facing in the country locations where they are. These challenges can be related to the complexity of the system, the complexity of the operation of the situation they're facing in the many actors that we also have to work in, in these situations. And the suggestion, the idea behind it is to be able to move the ball forward, to advance with whatever needs to be done to bring solutions to these challenges that are faced in the field locations. There's always in the lab the leader in the, in the place, in the country, who could be a resident or a humanitarian coordinator, but most importantly, the team that works with her or him in the locations where they are, and this includes NGOs, includes local actors, in some places it would also include the local government to try and bring solutions to the challenges. In 2022, uh, Geli, together with UTCO, worked on this project in four countries, and I'm delighted that we also had on the implementation, of course, is the Dalberg and Konu team that we'll be introducing in one minute. The labs took place in, in Pakistan, in Philippines, and currently moving forward with Bangladesh and Somalia with the scope to expand to more countries in 2023. So joining me today to discuss about uh, the labs, uh, I have next to me uh, Michael Kohler, who is the CEO of uh, KONU, uh, a coaching uh, firm who has worked very closely in partnership uh, with the Dalberg Catalytic to provide this niche, unique, uh, tailor-made uh, support to the field labs. Michael's also uh, teaching leadership at uh, Harvard University. He's an educator and he will bring to us his perspectives on the work that is, um, has taken place in multiple locations, looking particularly about this uh, collaborative leadership that has uh, taken place. So Michael, a warm welcome. I'm really delighted to have you here with us uh, joining this uh, conversation. Thank you, Panas. So excited to be here with you. So what do leadership teams in the field expect from this leadership lab? What, what does it look like? Yeah, let me, let me start by, um, by talking a little bit about the nature of the, the challenges that these, these leadership teams in the field are, are facing. Because I think the, the humanitarian world, there's really two sets of challenges that we're facing. One is kind of the, the urgent uh, need to respond to disasters, to catastrophes, to like crises. But then almost behind each and every single one of those challenges, there is a deeper underlying systemic issue, a systemic challenge, climate change being one of them. So in a way, if you're in the humanitarian field, you're, you're both working on the, um, on the urgent response, but also on the underlying systemic challenges. And and one of the beauties, I think, of the of the UN system and all of the other actors in the international development system is like, that's really their work. And that work requires collaborative leadership because, you know, everybody, you know, holds a piece of that puzzle. 
that that we're trying to sort of uh, solve collaboratively. And and yet at the same time, the way how the the system is set up is in silos. It's it's in silos according to technical expertise. Uh, to to um, differentiated mandates, and that that often leads to competing agendas. That you know leads to different loyalties, and and so we're kind of set up not to collaborate in a way. And also, I think what's coming on top of that, also because of the pandemic, is is relationships are not always as strong as as we see them, and and like some of the difficult conversations, some of the conflicts are not even emerging. So. This is where kind of the adaptive systems, collaborative approaches come in, in in this sort of lab where we're really trying to create a space in which teams can explore uh, new ways of collaborating with each other and practicing collaborative leadership on some of the underlying more systemic elements of the challenge. Um, First, by developing a new understanding of the challenge, a shared understanding of the challenge. Often people don't have a shared understanding of the challenge. But also strengthening relationships, trust, dialogue across the whole set of stakeholders who are involved in that, including, of course, the local communities, the local government. And then third, beginning to try out new things, things that we haven't tried out. New, We call them interventions, new ways of addressing uh, some of the challenges that go beyond the usual way of doing things. And, and we need to find new space, new, new ways of experimenting and trying things out. So, Michael, you describe uh, this collaborative leadership and working with teams. You also made reference to the adaptive leadership. So can you just kind of describe, paint the picture of what does your intervention looks like in the field with teams where you work? So this is a lab. And it's. I think it's... A genius word that you know, Panos, you and and your team chose when you when you set up uh, that intervention, the, the idea of a lab, and and what comes to my mind when I hear that lab, it's is um, the space where you usually have labs is science, right? And so I think the lab is a space where we can work on a frontier, or we can collaborate on a frontier, experiment on a frontier, and learn new ways. And I think this is this is important. It makes a lot of sense because the challenges we're facing are frontier challenges, right? We haven't figured out how to quote unquote fix climate change. Uh, we we haven't figured out you know how to how to address uh, gender equity or displacement. And so acknowledging that that's a frontier uh, and that that may need a lab is an important space. Now, a leadership lab. Um, also kind of what comes to mind often to people is it's a space where we can uh, develop skills and and new ways and new tools. And I think all of that also happens in those labs, but it happens around the work itself. So, so what we're doing is not a training. It's not like, like us coming in and kind of quote unquote teaching skills and tools and, and approaches of, uh, you know, how to persuade people or how to influence, right? It is also not a um, sort of technical exercise around where sort of experts come in and say like, okay, here's, here's the latest technical expertise on climate or on, on displacement, because I think the system is already really good at doing that. So the lab is really the in-between space where we sort of co-create uh, collaboration around a shared challenge. But it's not, um, you know, what, what I love about a scientific lab and I'm just going to stay with this metaphor for a minute, is 
Right? You don't you don't experiment at, while you're conducting an open heart surgery with a patient, right? <laughs> but you experiment in a lab, kind of at a at a, at a level where sort of you know there's there's safety, like nobody gets hurt while you are experimenting in a lab, and yet you're still learning something about that frontier. And you also do that by defining the redefining the scope of the problem, right? You're not working kind of um, so we're not working climate change in our lab. Uh, we're working sort of a substrand of this systemic challenge that is relevant in that team's country context um, that feels like we can make progress on that um, within the next year or two. And and so very practically, you know, we work with uh, uh, HCRC and a core team of, you know, a few sort of core players in the field, agency heads or head of, of NGOs who are convening the lab. They are the hosts. We are the facilitators, but they are the hosts. And they're really sort of calling an informal coalition together in a lab around a shared challenge, a challenge that is relevant to them in the country that they want to work. And, and so we co-create a design with them that introduces new ways of thinking about systemic challenges and new ways of collaborating. We try them out together. That involves a little bit of slowing down Right, kind of going coming out of that urgency that is usually in the system around addressing the crisis components. So if we slow people down um, and and collaborate about new ways of like meaning making around the challenge, finding a shared understanding of what the challenge really is about, and then developing uh, substrands of experiments that then groups are running and they are running them. So we have that first in person gathering and then small groups are forming. And they are running these experiments out there in their spaces. And an experiment can have can be, let's have a conversation with that stakeholder that I haven't spoken to. Or let's collect some more data here. And then we come back after a few months and debrief. And then help the team sort of build some sustainability without our support of convening and holding the lab. But kind of, you know, really helping them figure out how we can how can we maintain this new space for collaborative leadership on these complex challenges and not fall back into kind of the default of our sort of technical mandates that, that we had before. And and um, very concretely, we're currently um, going to the Philippines next week. Um, what we're doing there, for example, is help them build a coalition for durable solution on IDPs. And, and that coalition is currently forming uh, they're enrolling new members in it and really also very concretely thinking about what does it look like to continue to convene this coalition and the work that it's doing without kind of our convening support. And and yeah, that's really exciting. So what new ideas or what concrete impact results would you say that uh, have been generated uh, when you look at the, 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 the work that you've done so far through these pilot labs that uh, we've started? We are here in the space of of learning, right? I'm an educator by background. So we're really, as, as we're looking at impact of this intervention, of this program, it's not in the same category as kind of many of the execution projects that are out there, right? We can't count like how many lives did we save, how many... Um, how many supplies did we hand out? How many villages were reached? We're really looking at evaluating learning here, not execution. And that is a frontier, uh, evaluating learning. I, I think sort of people, there's this whole spectrum 
in the in the evaluation of learning. I think at a very basic level, people sometimes tend to tend to think like, okay, how many people showed up for the workshop? <laughs> right? You know, give me the participant list. Like that's kind of um, you know, as you know, pretty superficial start starting point, but it's a starting point. It's it's a starting point. On the other end, it's like, okay, so 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 what did this intervention actually do for climate change? Or, or for internal displacement on the other end of the of the chain, right? And I think we need to find good ways in the in between space where we like, okay, here's the input that we that we did. You know, we convened in this lab and and did people show up? But then, kind of looking at what people actually learned and how they're applying it, and whether what they're applying makes a difference. I think in these three areas, I think we really need to we really need to put our our emphasis, and so. When we look at the at the first piece, I think we have a lot of data. We survey people at the beginning of the lab and at the end of the lab, and we kind of start by kind of a baseline understanding of how they're making sense of the challenge. And what we often see people is finding over the course of the lab broader definition of the challenge and more agency over the challenge, right? Often they will define the challenge in the beginning. Let me just give an example like, the challenge is that the government doesn't pass a bill on X, <laughs> right, at the beginning of the lab. And, and how can we make the government, or not make the government, but influence, or support, you know, right. At the end of the lab, people find out, like, you know, I still think the, the bill is a good idea, but that won't solve the challenge. There's many other ways that it can help us pass the challenge and even uh, address the challenge. And even if the bill is passed, like that is that's just the boundary condition in which then kind of the the legal system operates. But like that doesn't mean people shift their mindsets and behaviors. We still need to think about other interventions, and and we're still curious about that, right? So that's that's a very concrete learning I think we can see. Um, another learning that people have their own mandate, kind of you know it's not my mandate to do that. That's their mandate. Well, you know if you ask them, it's not their mandate. Like thinking about, well, actually, I could potentially practice leadership. Leadership barely happens from mandates. Leadership often goes beyond mandates. It's the people that kind of cross the boundaries a little bit of their mandates that we then afterwards look at, oh, this was some great leadership, right? So these are some of the concrete learnings that we're seeing. How people applying it, the learnings, we have some initial data on that, and I think it will be interesting to stay connected, to continue to watch people do it. From the small groups, people started having outreach, conversations, engagement with, st with stakeholders that go way beyond what they previously thought they would do. I'll name an example from the Philippines, which is around uh, IDPs. A lot of focus was on the national government. And, and one, of the, one of the insights that came is like, you know, what about the local communities? And so the engagement that the small groups have done with local communities, uh, local agencies, local officials... Uh, the outreach uh, with youth, youth IDPs as well, to collect stories, to to collect insights, to see where it where where do we see the positive outliers, where are things already working? Beautiful, right? We we can see that that the working group are actually making an enormous progress uh, out there. And then the last piece is like, is it making a difference? I think that's too early to tell, but I think that's an important question to ask to to stay engaged and see, like, okay, is you know, is that bringing bringing the ball further down the field and finding durable solutions for IDP. But but I'm pretty hopeful about that. So, I mean, the, obviously the verdict is as always with these things uh, with time to see how it goes. But would you say it's going in the right direction? Totally. 
Yeah. How about the question of sustainability? So, for you know, you go to a country at the invitation of the team, you have this core team of UN NGOs, they can bring government, they can bring whoever is relevant, civil society. Uh, you ask people to sit back, to reflect, they put a problem in the middle, uh, they work with it over for quite a period. Can you tell us a little bit how, how long is your intervention that takes place? And then also, what happens at the end of it? How is this sustained? How does this continue uh, kind of uh, lasting uh, after you intervene? So the intervention is between four to six months. You know, the two cornerstones are the country visits and then the in-between work that happens mostly virtual in small groups um, around the experiments. We are very explicit in the end, work very explicitly at the end with the teams around sustainability and really asking them how they want to continue that momentum and that work, including the question, how might we, how might we screw this up? How, you know, what, what, <laughs> what gets in the way of like bringing us back to the old, old patterns of behavior? And the analogy here, imagine, you know, your, your family or your couple is really struggling during the pandemic and you find the help of a, of a good counselor and, and you're working with them for half a year. And really finding new ways of relating to each other, of listening to each other, of, of working with each other. Like, like, do you wish you want to work with that person your whole life? You know, potentially. But like the, the marginal benefit of somebody else being there, holding the space and providing additional sort of a catalyst for the important work that potentially you as a couple could also make by yourself is getting less and less over time. Like the first few sessions, you have an immense effect. But then over time, you know, like the, the muscles get built. And then in the end, you work with a couple to think about how do you keep that momentum alive? And, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to say we're therapists for the country teams. I just want to be very, very, very precise here. But I think the, but I think the stance is a little bit similar in the sense of like, we'll come in, we'll help over a period of time. And then the, the purpose is actually for, for us to be no, you know, no longer needed. And we are explicit about that. We work with people around that. And ideally, some of these sort of facilitative skills that we bring in the holding office space is actually co-owned by different members of the group, not just the RC. I think it's very, very important that we don't then look back to the RC and say, like, okay, RC, can you now convene like two laps? RC being the resident, co the resident coordinator, right? But different members in the system can, can step up and say like, okay, you know, I'm going to, Yes, I represent this one agency, but I can also take some responsibility for the informal relationships that have built and the integrity of the relationship and the maintaining of trust and restoring of trust should trust be eroding again. Mm, so, but this holding of the space can also be by a non-governmental organization, can be a civil society, a local partner, whoever in the team, from what I hear you saying. One of the things I'm noticing about the the you know, UN system is like, there's always like this need for like, we need a structure for this. We need an office for this. And, and I'm like, you know, this is actually what we're initially, you called us in to say like, what's getting in the way of collaboration <laughs> that we have all of these structures. So, so we're really trying to be like playful around like, like, and, and learn from there's many uh, examples out there in the field from the organizing coalition building, you, you know, that were like much more informal coalitions are really sustained over time around a shared purpose. And that shared purpose, the beauty of the lab is like each lab has a shared purpose because it always is oriented around a systemic challenge. And the people who care about 
IDPs or climate or, you know, they are in the room. So it's not that hard to maintain that coalition because people, everybody cares about this idea. And once it gets started, people stay, in, stay engaged because the purpose is the most important piece. No, I can see how this shared purpose and agreeing on a common priority of what they want to work on is really vital. Also, um, look at collaborative leadership in a world where no one organization can make it alone. The challenge is so bigger, so more need to join hands in this uh, common purpose. And, and let me ask you, Michael, you describe your intervention on issues around uh, internally displaced, internally displacement, um, IDPs, uh, program with solutions, or you mentioned climate change. Who defines the challenge when you go to a country? Do you go? Who defines it basically? The initial owner is the uh, humanitarian or resident coordinator in that country. Like that's where it starts because that is the role in the country sort of the formal role that kind of connects all the different efforts in the country and has the best insight, if you want, in the shared challenges and, and doesn't bring kind of the, the, the mandate is not like, here's my agency and, you know, we are, we care about, you know, children's rights or we care about uh, disaster response, but like the, the mandate of the resident or humanitarian coordinator is to coordinate all of the efforts. So, so our, our starting hypothesis is they have, they're probably really well positioned to see what is a shared challenge that cuts across those different entities. But we don't stop there. We start there, develop an initial hypothesis, then invite a few other key stakeholders, and then refine the challenge, particularly as we think about the scope, right? IDPs is a scope that is too big. Climate is a scope that is too big. So how do we boil this down to something that is tangible and Still, still complex enough that we don't have a quick, immediate solution, but tangible, uh, uh, sort of small enough in scope that we can actually make some progress on that and not get overwhelmed by the sheer sort of massiveness of that challenge. All right. And, and talking of advancing, to what extent is the people that the leaders are serving is in the center of your mindset and approach? Even before we go into the country, we do a very important activity, which is around a sort of an advanced version of stakeholder mapping, where we uh, work with the core team to really think through what are the different perspectives, including the hidden perspectives on that challenge to determine who are the participants to be invited to the lab. <laughs> People often come very soon with the beneficiaries of the work, right? It's kind of the, the initial brainstorming often like surfaces like, oh yeah, here are the five agencies involved. Oh yeah. And then, but then we also need to think about the local people and the people in the field. And they very often have really, really good ideas on who that is. And, and for example, I'm talking a lot about the Philippines here, but like we had probably three or four IDPs themselves in the initial room who were talking from their own experience. And it was it was inspiring and and heartbreaking and 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 really really powerful to to work the challenge and and you know to separate it out. They were kind of a, a, a working team member in each of the work groups, and it was it was wonderful to see that work happen with kind of the affected people and the very senior senior folks from these agencies at the same time. Right. Wonderful to hear that you also have the internal displaced people and hear their voices directly uh, on the table. So we, we work in a system that we tend to be 
very mechanical, almost repeating the same move, whether it is of structures, of process, of approach, year after year, we have kind of these cycles and we tend to repeat. And, and, and sometimes many of us feel that the world is moving at a speed that is much greater than our ability to adjust in terms of what we do. So when you look at the labs, uh, to what extent you, are, you would say that this offers, an, in a way, a space, uh, holding the space, as you, as you said, uh, for the teams to do things differently, to find innovative or, or different approaches with a view to better achieve whatever the goal having the people at the center of the uh, response and plans. People would often comment on the, the theme of speed. <laughs> they get the invitation and they're like, what do you mean three days? Like, you know, I can't even find a day on my calendar. Three days on a retreat that you yes, hold. Yes, right. And, and, and so that's the speed and the pressures are tangible, really tangible for people. And then at the end of the three days, kind of, you know, you, you, you see the, the, the pace slowing down in, in the first day. People are still a little, a little anxious in the first break of the first day. But you see the, the pace slowing down. You see the, the nature of the conversation becoming less formal, uh, less in role, a little bit more relational, a little bit more real. And then at the end of day three, it's like, of course, we're better at thinking about these big challenges when we slow down a little bit and sort of, you know, the, the bandwidth uh, widens uh, and we're a little bit less in like this, you know, execution and fast, fast kind of fast solving, fast solving mode. And that is a constant, constant challenge. But I think the, the sort of global, global pace and the, the overwhelming nature of these challenges really require that, that reflective space at the same time. Not, now, don't get me wrong, not all of the time. Right? We also need to be fast and responding and responsible, uh, but we also need these these moments. You know, the leadership work is on the on the dance floor where we make our moves, where we like, you know, uh, uh, are fast and and are in line and with rhythms and build relationships. But we also need to get on the balcony to see like the patterns and the structures and what's going on and what am I missing and who's not here, who's not in the room, who's you know all of these all of these places. And and I think the best practice is if if people kind of can can go up and down you know on the balcony and back on the dance floor and sort of you know uh, as a as a regular practice and this is really the idea of of this work finding balcony practices whether it's a three-day retreat whether it's a one-hour coaching conversation whether it's a two-hour small group check-in and the hope is that people are then also finding their own spaces where they can use this kind of engaging and thinking that is not sort of quote unquote attached to the lab, but also then shows up in the regular country team meeting uh, <laughs> where, where we don't go kind of formalistically and half of the people have their their videos off and we go through the agenda and, and, and we make our little speeches, but like where we actually get real with each other because, you know, that is really helping advance the challenge. Uh, this taking the moments to go to the balcony, take the moments to take this self-critical, reflective, slowing down uh, look, but also taking the moment to address directly challenges, which we tend to avoid or tend to pretend that they're not there to be moving forward. So as you're moving, and just to ask my last question, Michael, as we're moving into kind of the next generation of labs, and I know you're about to, you're working with, uh, with Bangladesh or with Somalia, what are the lessons that you would carry from the work you've done 
so far to kind of to the next uh, labs? Well, first of all, what's working, right? I think the 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 lab in itself, this idea of a lab around a shared challenge with the focus on systems leadership and collaboration, I think that hypothesis is really working. The momentum is really there for this. And and um and the new countries are really excited about this and, and they're really making space despite you know everything that is going on in Somalia and Bangladesh. I mean, it's an investment. And and it's it's so that's that is wonderful. The the other thing that is working that that is is really important is kind of the co-creative experiential action learning aspect of this lab with us in the coach stands around a shared challenge, right? We're not distracting you with something new, with a curriculum that is, you know, somewhere else that has examples, case examples that are written up, but we we help you make progress on the challenges that are most pressing for you and most frustrating for you. And that may be, that is a little, um, that's a little exposing, right? It's not, not everybody is, is comfortable and sharing like, you know, Tell me again, what is most frustrating for you at the moment? You know, what do you mean? <laughs> like, do you tell me, you know, do you look frustrated? Yes. I mean, like, every, of course, we all have frustrations, right? So I think all of this, all of this is working. I think the, the pieces where we're learning and iterating is how do we adapt the lab into different country contexts where the demands and, and the, the natures of the challenges are, are a little different, right? I mean, if you're imagining sort of, you know, you're hearing these these different country names like Somalia, Bangladesh, Philippines, very different countries, very different context. And and so the this is not a program that is, you know, we pull out the curriculum and deliver it and repeat it, but like we really need to sort of co-create. But we need to do it in a way that that does not require too much of the country teams that's themselves, right? There, there need to be a few conversations beforehand around like who to invite and and you know what's the, the nature of the challenge. But we also cannot overburden the country team with like too many design calls if you want, because there's 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 sort of limited resources. And I think that is as we move from pilot to more implementation, I think that is something that we're trying to to wrap our heads around. And then the last thing that I'll, I'll name is, um, and I think that is our shared challenge, Panos, is you know this this intervention is a little bit countercultural in, in in general, and it doesn't really fit into kind of the the timelines and the budget cycles and and like you know all of these ways how the system otherwise operates, you know, and and kind of in order for us to create an intervention that gives space, like the the enabling environment that, you know, you're mainly working, the, the donor community, uh, mostly is like, we need a little bit of time. And like the annual budget cycles is are hard about this because until the new money gets released and, you know, ready for the country. And, you know, so I think if, if we're, if we're collectively learning, including the donors, sort of how to make a little bit more space for these programs so we can plan ahead, can plan already for a year ahead or it, two years ahead, get it on people's calendars. That will make it easier than, you know, the, you know, rushing ourselves to make space <laughs> for a, a system that is rushed. Yeah. Well, what I would say is uh, welcome to our world, which is really in a way the reality <laughs> of what is being changed. But uh, Michael, thank you so much because listening to you, I would also say 
having walked the path myself, the, the challenges between the complexity of the operation, the security, the political, but also the different mandates that sometimes come on the way and bringing this people-centric approach in, a, in an environment that is cutting knife-edge competitive for funding uh, with competing resources, organizations, uh, makes the work of this uh, collaborative leadership in teams even more important to, to, to speak the unspoken, to find the hidden biases, to face challenges, to find solutions, to create, to co-create, to innovate is really vital. So I just want to say a big thank you for joining me today on this podcast conversation and really for sharing your firsthand from the field experience having supported teams on the ground. Panas, thank, thank you for the opportunity and particularly thank you for creating this, this idea, this space, you know, in a way you're making a, an intervention into the system, you know, you're practicing systems leadership by, by creating these, these spaces in Gali and that requires a lot of courage and resourcefulness and, and I'm full of appreciation and, and really keeping my fingers crossed that this is, this continues to grow. Thanks, Michael. I think we're delighted to be partnering on this uh, as Gelly together with the UNDCO and, of course, whenever in humanitarian context, uh, OCHA and the broader system and bringing it to life wherever it is. So really, thank you very much. To all our listeners, I want to say thank you really for, for taking the time to listen to us. I hope you've all listened and enjoyed the Leadership Lab series. This is the sixth and the last conversation of the series where we really focused on leadership and looked at the role of leadership from different perspectives. Uh, leadership and ethics, values, collaborative leadership in teams, accountability. The six series really tried to specifically focus on the role of leadership, which was based on a thought leadership uh, lab event that was uh, hosted in Berlin on the 10th of November uh, and the papers that were produced, the research and the analysis uh, that uh, took place. I'd like to say a big thank you in particular to the general support that was provided by the government of Germany uh, to bring this conversation and safe space and reflection, including this podcast series to fruition. So this brings us to the end and thank you for listening to us. 